Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we'll be speaking about cybersecurity and ERM at Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. Our guest, Sarah Lyberg. She's the CFO of Mecklenburg County. She'll tell us all about how a cybersecurity incident reinvigorated their ERM and cyber programs. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm happy to have here uh, with us Sarah Lyberg from Mecklenburg County. Hello, Sarah. Hi, good afternoon. Okay. Well, why don't we start off, uh, Sarah, if you could just kind of introduce yourself, what you do at Mecklenburg County, um, kind of your, your day job, and then maybe talk a little bit about what you do for their ERM program. Absolutely. So uh, again, my name is Sarah Lyberg. I am the CFO for Mecklenburg County. Just to give you a sense of scope for what Mecklenburg County is or who we are, we are the largest county in North Carolina and one of the 50 largest in the country. We have a $1.9 billion operating budget and a $1.6 billion capital plan. So at the county, my role as CFO is to oversee all of our treasury and financial functions, procurement, our capital plan, and provide fiscal and budget services for over a dozen departments. As the CFO, I'm also a key member of our risk management team and part of a core group that is helping reboot and develop and further uh, mature our enterprise risk management program. Okay, and just to orient ourselves a little bit, so Mecklenburg, is does that include Charlotte or where is that? Yes, so Charlotte is about 80% of the land mass of Mecklenburg County. <laughs> so Charlotte, North Carolina is the, the largest city. We also have Davidson, Mint Hill. There's several other municipalities around. So it's a very dynamic um, area where I believe the third largest financial center in the country behind New York and San Francisco. Wow. Okay. So we, yep. So we've got a ton of financial services, but we also just being located where we are, we've got a, a diverse set of other businesses and um, entities that we support and over a million residents in the county. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, so it sounds like you probably have some risks that we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few. <laughs> All right. Well, so yeah. um, let's, uh, let's get into it here. So uh, I had read in an article not too long ago, uh, authored by yourself, about a certain cyber incident that happened at the county. Why don't you uh, give us a little more uh, info on that? Yeah, sure. So um, I've actually been in the county about a little over a year and a half. And three weeks into my tenure at the county, I walk in the door one day, brand new CFO, I go to log in my computer and I can log in and I can open my email, but I wasn't able to do anything else. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Start walking around and then found out about five minutes later, we had been hacked. So what had happened is we had some cyber hackers enter into the county system and they released ransomware. So the very, very good news is that we didn't lose any data. So no data left the premises, but the not so good news is that ransomware effectively locked all of our files and they were demanding two Bitcoin to be, to give us the decryption software. Now our County manager, Dina DiOrio, um, actually made the New York times. We went through, we turned everything off and we evaluated what are the things, um, that we have. Does it make sense? You know, 
basically doing that risk calculation of do you pay the ransom or don't you? What backups do we have? What systems are impacted? What are the things we can do? We were in close consultation with all of the people you'd imagine, everybody from the Federal Bureau of Investigation to the states to others, our own um, cyber insurance support team, uh, as well as some consultants and forensic data forensic folks that came in and made the determination not to pay the ransom. We were lucky enough to have a lot of good things in place. First off, the county before I got here, but several weeks before the cyber attack, had actually done a tabletop exercise to go through the coup event and the coup plan for, well, what happens if we were to be attacked and we were to lose our, our systems? So we were really well prepared there. We had very strong leadership, um, but from a just a practical standpoint, we still didn't have computers. So we had our computers, but we didn't have our software. Now, the way that the counties work in North Carolina and our county in particular, Mecklenburg County, all of our services are really around people. So from the finance officer's perspective, we're responsible for everything from managing our cash collections that are coming in through payment of property taxes, sales taxes, business taxes, uh, what have you, to the payment you know, to recording the payments, to being able to do a procurement of goods and services, all of these activities to be able to deliver on our county mission require systems. And in the county, we had health and human services. So we have our public health department. We have our department of social services. We have a sheriff's office that provides um, the detention facilities for residents of our detention facilities. Otherwise, we have our jails and things. So when you start to look at not having systems, it's not just impacting the payments, it's also impacting everything that we need to be able to evaluate, well, is this person somebody that can go back out, you know, somebody who's being processed for bond, can they be released? Somebody who should um, is coming in for a foster care payment and they're taking care of a child, you know, we're having to make sure that we've got all of these financial activities going on and we needed the internal controls and everything around them. So what we effectively did is taking all of those great lessons learned from our previous COOP exercise, we identified what are the most important things that we need to deliver, focusing on health, public safety, and protection of property. What are the critical things we need to make sure keep going on? While our IT and everybody else was taking that information and helping prioritize what systems came back online, we were identifying what are the manual processes that we need to stand up and how do we build the internal controls around these so that we can take in those revenue collections, properly account for them, make sure that people had evidence that they paid their taxes, which if, you know, it's it happened to be that the hack happened right at the same time that property taxes were due with a hard deadline where there's no way to not charge interest even if we can't personally collect the taxes. So we that tax on the front end was a really important thing. We also had prioritizing what are the procurement actions that we need to take and what type of documentation paper do we need to pull together so that we can replace everything that was done in the system and make sure we're buying the goods and services that we need to keep operating. We had going to, you know, just one a good example for youth foster care, how are we able to get all of the information so that we can make the payments to all of the people who are taking care of 600 plus children 
that were in the care of the county to the jail system, you know, and it's not just what we had to worry about for getting our own systems and paper backups there. We had to make sure as well that we were interfacing with our partners. So a lot of these systems interface with the state. A lot of the systems will interface with the federal government. Once you've had a cyber attack, people don't want to connect, have their system connected to yours until they're absolutely sure that you're clean. Mm-hmm. So from an operational perspective, it really was a coop exercise. What yeah. are the things that we can get done? How do we prioritize? Um, and keeping that constant communication flow so that we could make sure that we were responding to a rapidly changing environment. Because our original coop plan, some of the things that would have been kind of lower priority, just by virtue of the timing for when the cyber attack happened, became high priority, like the taxes I had explained before. You know, if it's something where it had happened at a different part of the year, where they didn't have a statutory deadline for property tax payments of June 6th, or I'm sorry, January 6th, then, you know, if it had happened, if the cyber attack had happened in March or April, it may not have been as big of an impact. Taxes would have been lower on our list. But when you have all these property owners who need to pay their taxes to avoid interest charges. You have people who need to pay their taxes to make sure that they can sell their home or to purchase another home. You know, things that you may not think of as a high priority suddenly rise up, in addition to all of the other good things that um, we were able to learn. Now, on the plus side from operations, I think one of the, the great opportunities that we got, it didn't feel great at the time, but on the, in hindsight, by going through and putting together all of these manual processes, procedures, and controls, it really gave a lot of our team within the county insight into how things are really connected, which you sometimes don't get when you're relying on systems that automatically connect. So it actually served to help us strengthen our resilience for you know, future events because we could see that connectivity and in working together to solve the problems and the challenges that we had and getting back up online from that event, it gave us ideas for how we can improve our processes, have better backups, have a better communication plan for a future COOP event, whether cyber or otherwise. Right. So, I mean, it's fair to say that this this thing has some strong repercussions and really got you all to kind of, you know, get all this stuff down on paper, really go through these scenarios, understand what the most critical connections and services were so you could keep things going if if this were to happen again or something else, not even a cyber incident, something else that would, would, would have yeah. an impact. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the other thing that was great is it helped create some of the communication and that, you know, there were places where we may not have realized how important a given data asset was to some of our stakeholders. Now, for example, it's not a financial system, but our um, in our land use and environmental services, we have our ArcGIS team, and they provide data on all of our property tax parcels. Mm-hmm. You know, that system going down put a pause on all mortgage transactions, whether somebody was trying to refinance or buy a new home. Right. You know, that that was something that may not have been captured in an original coop plan, but became a very quick realization of, oh, that suddenly, um, that's something we need to get online sooner rather than later. 
Because well, again, we mm -hmm. wanted to orient around minimizing the impact. We we kept our doors open, and we wanted to minimize any negative impact to those we serve. Well, let me ask you this, because you know, obviously, you really did a deep dive into all these areas and and effects. And you found identified all these effects because this incident occurred. You know, do you think you would have had anywhere near such a a deep insight if the incident didn't occur? If it was just sort of a tabletop exercise, or you know. What, what do you recommend for folks that that want to identify all these connections and risks but they you know they've really never been hacked or you know so it's kind of theoretical yep well and i will say that i i think that the tabletop exercise and some of those scenarios are critical so my challenge was i didn't have the benefit of attending because i was not yet a county employee when they'd handed when they'd had the tabletop exercise okay. but I think having gone through that process and really taking any challenge or opportunity, you know, if you have a day where your system shuts down, we've had, you know, if you have a computer that breaks and it's a critical point of contact, is that something you can think about saying, hey, if this one person who does this one function isn't in the office this day, what's my backup plan? And really be thinking about contingencies and things like that, not necessarily on every little piece, but when you've got core parts of your business that are reliant on systems or pop processes, that that is something where those tabletop exercises can really help you identify you know, things you might not think about when you're going through your day-to-day -day and everything's working. Right. I think the other piece might be as well, you know, for me, it was great because I hadn't been part of that tabletop exercise. So I was able to do a deep dive, but really approach, approaching it from an enterprise risk management perspective of, you know, and to asking questions like, what are our data assets? How do we use them? Who owns them? Who you, who, what is that information used for, for the business? And, using that information kind of that inventory to help drive the priorities you know so what does it mean in terms of our business operations our policy and that even just starting off with that kind of an inventory can help an organization really say okay what's most important to me is this these are the systems that are part of that here are the stakeholders and so depending on whatever whether it's a ransomware or a data breach or something else whatever kind of cyber event or other event you're subject to, that gives you a great starting point for being able to answer the situation specific items for a faster recovery and for building resilience in the future. Right. So let me ask, um, I'm kind of curious then, how would you describe your cybersecurity kind of stance before this and after, and then mm -hmm. also your ERM program before and after? So great question. I think on the cybersecurity, we as a county had already been focused on cybersecurity. It was something where we were looking and identifying. We have a very strong CIO, a chief um, uh, information officer, Keith Gregg, and our whole executive team and county manager really understood the importance of having a secure and sound uh information technology infrastructure and data assets. I think one of the things that it really helped us do was as a catalyst was say, okay, we've got a lot, we'd already identified that we had some opportunities for improving our infrastructure. We'd already identified that we'd had some opportunities for um, 
identifying some software and other things that maybe were outdated and harder to keep secure or even processes that were harder to that made it harder for us to keep that IT program or that particular piece of software or function secure but what it did is it helped catalyze everybody's attention and helped us get really an injection of funding for solving the most critical and that's one of the things as, as we kind of transition into um, you know the question of how it changed our ERM program it kind of helped us serve as a catalyst to reboot our enterprise risk management program and what I mean by that is we had identified all of these things already because we've been working and, and really focusing on how do we improve our cybersecurity stance done the studies and done the work it cost a lot of money and then when we had the event people saw the value of making those investments but there's no way that you can, there's no dollar amount you can invest to be 100% secure. The only way you can be 100% secure is if you stop working with that, with computers, which we obviously can't do and still serve the public. Right. So being able to bring in that ERM approach to what are the biggest risks? How do, how do those risks, you know, what's the probability of that risk occurring? What's the impact? what is the cost of mitigating or eliminating that risk through an infrastructure or people investment on our IT side. And we're able to use that to really drive additional investment in cybersecurity. Um, you know, don't want to go into too much detail because it gets very techy and very um, uh, something that I would really look to my CIO to explain better. But a lot of it was really being able to prioritize especially given that data inventory. What are critical systems? What's most important for our business? Why is it important? And how much does it cost to secure those aspects and bringing those all together? And what we did is we brought those together to our enterprise risk management committee. And we basically had our folks present, here are all the places, here's where we're at right now from an overall risk profile. Here's the series of investments that we would need to go from this level of risk to what we would call a green or a lower level of risk. And then being able to prioritize and categorize all of these investments to say, okay, if we can afford this much now, this is how we get the biggest bang for our buck and the furthest towards getting to that green, getting to the, the acceptable level of cyber risk from our perspective. And we actually used our ERM framework to be able to have those conversations. So in working with our CIO, basically having them outline, okay, given all the great work we've done to study, here's our footprint, given all the great learning that we got through, you know, the one plus side of having gone through the cyber event is you, you get a lot of learning, putting those two pieces together, they were able to identify, here are the things that are most critical that we absolutely need to do now. Here's how much they cost. Here are the things that we can spread out over time and really have that value discussion where leadership could make an informed decision of how much they were willing to invest or how much they were able to invest relative to our other priorities. Because we still have all of our other priorities. We still have transforming healthcare. We still have being able to um, help support universal uh, pre-K education within the county a lot of other great investments and things that are just as important to us as cybersecurity, you know, being able to weigh those against each other by having that prioritized plan. Right. 
Well, and I, I want to get a little bit into, you know, because most of our listeners are federal, uh, you know, employees. And, uh, you know, how would you characterize a, a state or local ERM program? You know, how, how is it similar or different from a, from a federal program, for example? And, you know, what kind of guidance do you use? Do you set it up similar to a federal program? Yep. So I think um, in local government, if you go back to our roots, we're coming from a different starting place than a lot of the federal government's enterprise risk management programs. So in local government, the risk management function really started out primarily as a portfolio built around safety. In the late 80s and 90s, as insurance costs were growing dramatically, it was something where they started to say, hey, really our risk management function should also include these insurable costs. You know, so things like health insurance, workman's comp, um, property insurance. So ERM went from just workman's comp to being, hey, let's look at property. Let's look at all of these other insurable risks. And as we started going from the 90s into 2000s, 2010s, for local governments, enterprise risk management started to shift from being more financial and compliance oriented to really growing more towards that strategic management tool that it is in many parts of the federal government today. So from that perspective, while our county has been working through ERM in various ways for many years, part of the, uh, the similarities that I'm seeing as, as we grow is that we're starting to grow to cover a more holistic view of risk. So going beyond the financial and compliance. I think one of the other similarities is that as you're kind of moving up in the ERM maturity framework is making sure that you have a program that works for your business or that works for your organization. So just as the ERM program will be very different for two federal agencies with different missions in different environments that they work in. So for example, small business administrations, enterprise risk management framework is necessarily quite different than the enterprise risk management framework that might be put into place at Department of Commerce that has a very broad portfolio with different types of things going on compared to what might be going on at the Department of Housing and Urban Development where I used to work. <laughs> you know, so again, very broad, but not, you know, the enterprise risk management port program in all cases has to take into account how are you led what is the culture of the organization? Where are, what are the clear lines of responsibility and authority? And making sure that your enterprise risk management function doesn't disrupt who should be accountable for getting things. Enterprise risk management function to be strong as a strategic management tool needs to really be looking at the value add. It needs to be able to raise the question and bring information together in a way where people can be speaking from a common language. So the specific details of how an enterprise risk management function is going to work is, is very different at the local level than at the federal level, just based on the depth and breadth of our portfolio. But it's very similar in that it's going to be very dependent on how a particular local government is run. What is within that local government's portfolio? In the city, it's going to be different because they're focusing mostly on more on infrastructure, whereas the county, most of our work is focused on people with health and human services, public safety and the like. So capturing all of those pieces and also what is the, the structure? Is it a um, 
for us, we have a strong county manager who is the executive who leads the county. And folks, everybody, all the departments report up to that strong county manager function. In some areas, you have a different function. It's, it's just laid out differently. And so having an ERM function that is sensitive to how the structure works, how the culture works, what is the business that you're trying to operate and who is responsible for doing what without kind of our, and being very careful that it's set up in a way that's helping inform the decision making and not clouding those clear lines of responsibility and authority. You know, the enterprise risk management function, another similarity is that it, um, actually I'm going to pause there because I think I got a little bit off track. I apologize. <laughs> um, Kind of going back to what's different, I think one of the things that's different between the state and local arena that is similar to the corporate arena, but also very different from the federal government is with the federal government, with the circular OMB A123 and a lot of these other things, there's a mandate to have an enterprise risk management function. There is no such mandate at the local level at least for us in North Carolina. So when you don't necessarily have that, here are the clear objectives that everybody needs to hit. It is something that gives you some more freedom to be able to design it in a way that makes sense, but you also don't have that requirement to be able to go back to when you're trying to figure out how much time can I devote to building a strong ERM function. Now, I will say that that's one of the good things about the county is that we have the strong leadership who sees the value in the ERM program. And having had the event that we had, we, you know, it gave us that concrete objective to apply ERM principles to with the cyber attack so that we could use those ERM tools to improve our cybersecurity posture, to pre prevent what we could and reduce the risk of attacks, to help us answer the questions like how to invest in cybersecurity and what our new normal IT policy should be and weighing against other business needs. In those cases, it's very similar to how ERM should function, whether public or private sector as well. So I think there's probably more similarities than differences mm -hmm. when you start to get into it. Right. Well, I mean, that's interesting though, that aspect of, you know, there is kind of a mandate federal and commercial and state and local. There's not really a mandate, and it's, you know, particularly commercial, you can see motivation being, you know, profits and, you know, sales and things right. like that. Um, state and local, I mean, I guess it just depends on, you know, the tone of the leadership. And, I mean, again, you are pretty focused on delivery of services to your citizen, citizens and such. But, you know, I think for right. federal, it's such a broad mandate for so many, you know, departments and such that maybe it's it doesn't seem as focused as maybe a state and local or commercial, uh, you know, mission. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's, it's also, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's one of the things in a way, depending on what, if you're in the federal government and what department you're in, you know, sometimes it might be broad, sometimes it might be very clear. Here's our mission, all of our ERMS function around that goal. I think um, if you talk to um, some of the private sector leaders, like the head, the chief risk officer for Hilton Hotels, she would say our number one goal is heads and bets. That is their, to your point on profit, that is their driving goal. And so having an enterprise risk management program driven by what are the things that help us get to that goal of, of uh, heads and beds? What are the things that 
get in our way? What are the things that could harm that goal? Those are the types of conversations and questions that help drive their ERM. For us in the county, it's our, our mission is to serve the public. And so that's actually, as we're doing our enterprise risk management reboot, we're looking at those overarching goals of the county. What are those key themes? You know, public safety, accountability, uh, all of the health, a healthy community. And really looking at from that perspective, what are the risks that we face? What are some of the areas that we want to make sure our ERM program is focused on so that we are oriented around what is the end result of what our day-to-day -day should be in terms of delivering services to the public. So it's it's more focused in that it's a tighter geographic area with kind of a more unified um, structure than maybe the federal government, but it's also broad in that the, we have everything from air quality, water quality, parks and rec, to you know, building codes, health and human services, like I was saying, it's a very broad range of services that we're providing. So that's where some of the beauty of where we're looking at, you know, some of the the reboot of our, our enterprise risk management program is really looking at what are these services that we're providing? What are the common elements that we need to be thinking of as a county from an ERM perspective and capturing in this program? You know, for all of us, for example, um, we all need people to achieve our mission. Our county manager, Dina DiOrio, you know, is says this quite often, and it's it's really true for us that our staff are our greatest asset. We can't serve the public without the people to serve the public. And so, if we look at that, one of our key risks across the enterprise we need to be thinking about is HR. What are the things that help us or could get in the way of us being able to recruit, train, and retain the talent that we need to serve the public? Right. And that really, I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, and any organization should be one of the top five always because without those people, you can't do anything. <laughs> you know, that's, exactly. It's the core. Um, yeah. So let me, I have a, two more questions for you here, uh, and then okay. we'll wrap up. And I think I want to start with. Um, just kind of, you know, what do you see as the future for the cyber program and ERM program? And then we'll kind of wrap it up with a little discussion about mm -hmm. the InterGov partnership. Um, but yeah, but first, firstly, you know, what, what is what do you see as the, the next future steps here for your cyber and ERM programs? Um, so really when I'm looking at where our next steps are, I think we've been taking a lot of really good steps in the in the recent recent months to really reboot and I keep using that word there's probably a better word but we're taking a lot of steps to really look at how our ERM program works and how we can incorporate those tools and that thinking into our strategic planning into our budgeting and to our execution so we've got that common language that we're speaking from we've got the constant communication and that we're taking advantage of those opportunities so that we're not solving all of these issues kind of one-off department by department as they rise, but looking at what are those trends that affect everybody and how can we build kind of some risk management tools around those trends, like I mentioned, for human capital. Um, for next steps for us, we've been working on kind of pulling together what are those key themes or those key areas that, uh, that really are cross-cutting for all of the work that we do in the county 
and then being able to go to that next level and and expl- and have that message from the top of here's what we're looking at here's what we believe from enterprise risk management here's how we're going to use it in the county as a tool here's where it's going to be and once we've got that strong message articulated from the top having them explain here's how we're going to be using it in the day-to-day and then really kind of pulling in the leaders for each of our departments and the core program managers and staff to be part of that discussion to flesh out those core risks and start building kind of that discipline around making sure that we're asking those questions in a consistent manner and that we're answering them in a forum where we can share information and really take advantage of opportunities. Um, so for us, it's going to be, you know, we're probably about six or seven months into our uh, refresh of our enterprise risk management program. Uh, we're hoping in the next six months to be able to get from, you know, where, where we're still defining and start integrating it into our strategic business plan, into our budget and into the day-to-day decisions that we're making. So I think we've got a lot of opportunities in the near future. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I think our last topic here yeah. we'll just cover. Um, and my first plug I'll make, Affirm does also have a cyber community of interest, which we'll actually be doing a podcast with them hopefully in the next couple months. So uh, just a little plug for that since we're talking cyber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I did, I did want to hear about your yeah. um, – your, your participation in uh, one of our sister organizations, so to speak, the Association of Government Accountants, AGA. Um, so you're part of their intergovernmental partnership group um, focusing on cybersecurity as well, I believe, right? Do you mind giving us a little bit on that? Yes. No, I'm very excited and I would love for anybody listening to this podcast to um, come and engage with us in the intergovernmental partnership. So uh, intergovernmental partnership for the Association of Government Accountants, you know, what our mission is is to really identify what are some of the projects and tools and resources that we can work together with at all levels of government, federal, state, and local, to then bring to the larger government CFO community. Things that are truly value add. They've had some great things on in the most recent past enterprise risk management, They've had a lot, we've had a lot of tools that we've put out there on the Intergovernmental Partnership website. One of the things that we started working on a little bit last year and has really grown into something pretty exciting is looking at this question of cybersecurity. What are the things that would be most helpful to the government CFO community to help them lead their organizations towards a more resilient and stronger cybersecurity posture? And basically asking the question, there's tons of materials out there. One of the hardest things about cybersecurity is helping convince an organization, especially if you haven't been through a cyber attack, um, that it's a risk, but also that it's not an IT problem. It's a business problem. And what are the things that would be most useful to CFOs and to those in the government financial community to help identify what are the how do I get prepared? What are the questions I need to ask myself? How do I think about cyber insurance? Because there's so many things out there, what we want to do is start getting some of this information uh, from our community and use that to help put together some tools. So there's going to be in our July professional development training in New Orleans, there is going to be some, um, some surveys and some different 
aspects that the Intergovernmental Partnership is going to be sponsoring around getting some of this information of what's really important to you in the government finance community. What are the things you're most worried about? What are the types of things you wish you had? What are the types of things that would be most helpful to you in building that stronger cybersecurity stance for your organization, that stronger preparedness and resilience in the event that, you know, the, the cyber event happens and taking that information to build out some of our next steps. So I would encourage you know, folks, if you're going to be at the New Orleans PDT to, be, to attend uh, the session that we'll have um, on that, but also you know, to take part in some of the surveys, let us know what are the things that would be most helpful because it is such a relevant issue for so many of us we want the government intergovernmental partnership to really identify okay this is relevant this matters what is the thing that would help you the most what resonates the most with you in terms of with you as a part of the government financial community in terms of priorities in terms of resources in terms of things you would like to see us pull together and there's also going to be panels where people are pulling together you know their experiences so you'll be hearing from the federal level from the state and local level and we're hoping to get some people also from um other aspects uh you know in the federal government but other cross-cutting places to be talking in gao to be talking about their experiences with cybersecurity and using that as kind of a launch pad to be able to to further refine what we can do to help serve the CFO community in this space. So it's there's a lot of information out there, but it's also something where what we're hearing from a lot of people is they don't know where to start or they don't necessarily know where to go to get some of that information or something that is really relevant and resonates with a financial community and what we can be doing versus something that was set up more from an IT perspective. Right. No, and, and you know, I mean, I think the uh, the purpose of our associations and this podcast is, is to communicate, to let people know what's out there, to, you know, share, to help each other out and uh, just uh, point yeah. people in the right direction. So I really appreci appreciate you coming on the show today and, and in that spirit of uh, sharing. So thank you very much, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. Check us out at affirm.org. Go to our podcast page and you can check out all our previous podcasts. If you have any ideas for guests or topics you'd like us to discuss, please reach out. And we'll be posting several more podcasts here in the next few weeks. We have quite a few coming up. Some of Affirm's communities of interest, communities of practice, and all kinds of interesting stuff. So until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Risk Chats with Affirm. <laughs> <laughs>